This episode is brought to you by the Econil brand. Made from 100% regenerated waste, Econil nylon is transformed into performance-driven materials that can be recycled, recreated, and remolded again and again. You can create new products without ever having to use new resources. Econil regenerated nylon contributes to lead points, serving architects, designers, carpet producers, and most importantly, a sustainable future. Econil, no waste, no new resources, just endless possibilities. Visit econil.com to learn more. That's econyl.com. Design with the end in mind means uh, to think differently and uh, to be more inspired uh, by nature than uh, we are today. In nature, nothing goes lost and nothing uh, really is useless. Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Devers, and this is Neo Conversations, Neocon's official podcast about the exciting changes and issues impacting the commercial design industry. This season, we're doing a deep dive into innovations in materials, sustainability, and flexible space design. In this episode, we're asking, what is the circular economy and what role do architects and designers play in it? Joining us today are Giulio Bonazzi, CEO and Chairman of Aquafil, and David Oki, founder of David Oki Designs, two experts who are taking the lead in the circular economy to discuss some of the pressing issues like, what are the implications, misconceptions, and benefits associated with materials made from regenerated waste? And how can we design truly sustainable spaces and specify materials in which the entire life cycle has been considered? including eventual reuse. I am Giulio Bonazzi. Uh, my headquarters is based in uh, north of Garda Lake, one of the most beautiful uh, places uh, in Italy. I travel uh, all day and all year long uh, trying to learn uh, how can I do better. Uh, my company is producing uh, fibers, man-made fibers for carpet and uh, for uh, apparel and also polymer for uh, injection uh, molding. I try to do it uh, uh, respecting uh, the planet, respecting uh, the environment and, uh, of course, uh, making my customers as happy as possible. The most uh, interesting and uh, beautiful part of my job is, is that you can learn every day. My name is David Oakey. My studio, Pond Studios, is in LaGrange, Georgia. Beautiful six acres where we have a beautiful studio that we work. I designed carpet. I've designed carpet all my life. I came from a carpet town in Kidminster, England, where woven carpets were developed. And I've done that all my life now. I love my job. I love being challenged by architects and designers all over the world to come up with creative ways that we can have beautiful carpets, luxurious carpets, diverse carpets through all the interiors around the world. That's a grand mission. I support both of you in this. Let's launch right into talking about the circular economy. I know you guys are both very passionate about it. So, Julio, can you give us an overview of what is the circular economy and why is it important? Well, the circular economy is the only way to try to have a future. Uh, because if we keep doing uh, uh, what we are doing uh, and uh, in the way we are doing it, uh, we will not have a future. So, 
to take uh, raw materials from the planet to make products uh, and uh, to landfill them is not the right answer, is not the right way of conduct. The only way is to try to make things uh, that uh, never die, that uh, have a second life, and like nature does, uh, at the end of the second life, uh, there will be a third one and a fourth one. There is a big difficulty to try to understand this concept uh, and uh, to explain this concept uh, to uh, consumers uh, and uh, to people, because uh, we were not born with uh, uh, this uh, in, uh, in our mind. It's a challenge, but it's also the most interesting part of our job and of our work. We can transform our industry, we can make our industry a regenerative one, and uh, this is what uh, we want to do. David, what would you say is the biggest challenge in promoting a circular economy? When we first started using recycled materials, there were always a fear of it's too expensive, it's not going to perform as well. There were a lot of fears from a lot of our customers. Until we got product made from recycled that can start to be at the same price, that can perform as well or even better, that we can have any color we want, any size yarn that we want, that we can make any texture we want, then suddenly the questions from our customers, they start to go away. In the early days, there were definitely some fear of as we were starting to move towards recycled materials and recycled products. Well, it sounds like, and I want to touch on this again, it sounds like the fears of the limitations involved with trying to recycle and regenerate and the economics of the situation is something that you guys have to keep educating around. Julio, how does Aquafil fit into or contribute to the circular economy concept? What's your role here? I know you're passionate about it. What's your specific contribution? It is strange to have a fiber company, which is normally consuming a lot of oil uh, derivatives, that is uh, very much energy intensive, uh, thinking uh, that uh, uh, can change uh, the, the world and can change uh, uh, the industry. But what we do at Aquafil, uh, we really invented a new way of making nylon fibers, uh, which is our economy, that starts instead of uh, taking raw material from uh, recycling post-consumer and pre-consumer uh, waste, and uh, uh, with a special system, uh, we are able, uh, as David uh, was mentioning before, uh, we are able uh, to produce uh, a product which is exactly identical of the one coming from oil. We don't give any limitation to our customers, to designers. And this, of course, is very important because if you don't make beautiful products, uh, they can be sustainable, but people don't like to buy them. You know? mm, so right. <laughs> they must be nice and they must be price competitive. So sold at the right uh, price point. So Econil, we like to say that uh, is sustainable because it doesn't take any raw material uh, from the planet. And also is infinite because uh, it's not a one-time recycling, it's not uh, two-time recycling, but can be recycled an infinite number of times. And we like to say that is endless because uh, no limitation to designers, which is uh, one of the most important uh, characteristics of this process. It's been... Uh, an incredible journey so far, but uh, the nice part is that we are just at the beginning. So, you know, we have uh, a lot of things uh, to develop, uh, to discover, uh, to improve, uh, and uh, to bring uh, uh, to our customers. 
And Econil is currently used in the carpet industry and also in the fashion textile industry. Is that true? And I understand that you also have systems in place to reclaim not only products made with Econil, but other products in your waste recycling situation. That's true. Econil is uh, very much used by carpet companies, but also very much uh, liked uh, by fashion uh, companies. We have today more than 700 uh, customers in fashion and sport uh, using Econil and very famous brands uh, like uh, Gucci, Stella McCartney, Alexander McQueen, Adidas, uh, Speedo, just uh, to mention uh, a few of them. One of my favorite is Outernon, the, the brand of uh, Kelly Slater, the famous uh, surfer, who was one of the first uh, believers in the apparel industry of Econil. We have systems uh, to reclaim both pre-consumer waste and post-consumer waste. So we take back carpets, for example. We have now a plant up and running in Phoenix, Arizona, that is uh, recovering uh, 60,000 tons of carpets per year, which is about 35 million pounds. We have uh, agreements uh, in place uh, with several uh, fashion brands to bring back their pre-consumer waste. Even less than 1% of pre-consumer fabrics coming uh, from uh, garment manufacturing is today recycled. So more than 99% is going to landfill or incinerated. Mm. We have also systems in place uh, to recover other pre-consumer waste that before Econi they were landfilled or uh, incinerated. So it is uh, really nice because uh, we don't take any raw material to make this product. David, how did you get involved with Aquafil? Julio's already talked about how much he's learned from you, and we know you design carpet. So can you kind of connect the dots for us? Uh, Many dots. (laughs) Um, I have to mention one thing that drove both Julio and myself was the late Ray Anderson. His vision with interface carpets in 1996-97, he had the crazy idea that he was going to make his company sustainable. First, I was the designer designing the products. When this first happened, I really didn't understand what sustainability even meant back then. uh, There were rumors that they were going to take hemp fiber and make it into carpets, and they were going to switch to wool carpet, and this is a billion-dollar company. Mm -hmm. And then my business sense started to think about, we're going to switch a billion-dollar company, and we're going to go back to using natural materials. And natural materials, yes, they are sustainable, but they're only sustainable to a certain percentage of the population. Our population is just grown out of control that the planet cannot support all the people on the planet, and we have to change. So I read probably a 100 books on sustainable design, green design, and we suddenly had to make a stand and start to move forward. And the first part of the journey was to do as least amount of damage that you can. And in fact, the first thing was to put less of the virgin nylon in the product. Mm-hmm. And then we started to work with our suppliers that we needed to start to change to recycled nylon. The scientists back then all said, cannot be done, impossible. Well, we started to use industrial waste first, just from the plant. 
we kept challenging our different suppliers. And suddenly one supplier suddenly became the forefront and the leader in this area, Aquafil. So suddenly, not only did they get industrial waste, they cracked getting post-consumer. And so that's been the journey. And Ray Anderson today, if he was still alive, to see the recycled nylon not only be used in carpet, which was his industry, but to move into the consumer industry, into the fashion industry, and even see Stella McCartney in Gucci, I'm sure he has a smile on his face today. I'm sure he does too. That is wonderful. I love the story of two separate businesses, separately but in tandem, really changing their focus to one of a mission of sustainability. And in doing so, you two came together to form a union that really does make a difference in terms of the embodied energy in buildings, in terms of how we can educate designers and architects. It's a very exciting revolution. I mean, I don't, I don't want to overstate it, but with that in mind, David, what would you say is the role of designers, architects, and specifiers in this circular economy? How can they support this revolution? Well, I think designers have the power to keep on depleting the earth with all its valuable resources, or they can start to change and start to use recycled product, eliminating waste, starting to design products that they can actually be returned, that they can be separated and go back into the manufacturing system. So designers, they have control of what raw materials they will use, how the products will be manufactured, how much product or material will be used, how will it perform, how will it be shipped, how will they get it back. The designer has all these under its fingertips. And I think the designers today, and especially the younger generation, I think they start to see the changes that need to be made, I really am very optimistic about the next generation coming along. From my generation and in Julio's generation, we lived in a, a generation where we just made more and more, bigger and bigger, and we really didn't think about the consequences of our actions. Today, I think the next generation really start to think differently. They want to know where did that product come from? How was it made? What is it made from? These are very positive things that I'm starting to see. And it's also not just only with professional architects and designers. It's now moving to the average consumer, which is really a wonderful thing to see. It's a choice. Designers in interfacing with their clients have a choice to make, and that is to choose sustainable and specify sustainable products. And if you're saying that we've now eliminated the fears of, you know, it being economically not feasible or more expensive or a lesser product or lesser options in terms of the aesthetics, if that's out of the way, then their choice 
really just has to do with whether they're willing to make that choice and educate the client on why it's important. Because after the designer's done designing that project, they may not be with it for the life of that building. But the client whose job it is, whose building that is, really has to be passionate about it as well, because they're the ones who are going to participate in any of this reclamation. I agree with you that the next generation does seem to be embracing the sustainability ideals. And it's also, you know, as we get the education out there, it's a little bit easier to make that that convincing argument. Julio, you often talk about this idea of designing with the end in mind. And as a leader in sustainability, I wonder what advice you could give designers in in doing that, in creating new projects that already have been thought through to their end and their reclamation or recycling. Yes, design with the end in mind uh, means uh, to uh, think uh, differently and uh, to be more inspired uh, uh, by nature than uh, we are today. Nature, in nature, nothing goes lost. Everything uh, at the end uh, is becoming uh, nutrient for the next uh, circle of uh, life and nothing uh, really is uh, useless. You know, nothing uh, is going uh, nowhere and uh, creating uh, problems. It's an equilibrium that works uh, perfectly since uh, ages and millions of years. In this case, uh, you know, we have to think when we design a product, uh, what is happening at the end. So once uh, it has finished uh, his uh, uh, usage, once uh, a carpet uh, has been on the floor, I don't know, seven or 10 or uh, 12 years, and uh, it's time to replace it, and you have the fortune to change your floor covering and uh, uh, to uh, change uh, the taste of, uh, I don't know, your bedroom or your living room or uh, why not of uh, your office. I mean, carpet must not become a waste, but must come back and return to its raw materials and give the possibility to make new carpets. This is basically what I want to say when I think design with the end in mind. And if I can give an advice to designers in order to really change the way of making products is please do like David, work with us, understand better uh, the different uh, raw materials because at the end uh, you, you start from the ingredients uh, to create uh, this new uh, generation of products uh, and working uh, with uh, your suppliers uh, you for sure uh, are able uh, to improve uh, your way of uh, thinking uh, the engineering or uh, uh, how a product is uh, looking like uh, arriving at the end uh, to something which is not waste but uh, a secondary uh, raw material. David, I want to ask you this same question. There's the idea of designing with the end in mind as a product designer, so designing an actual product with materials that are made from regenerated sources and also can be easily recycled into new materials. And then there's the idea as, an, let's say, an architect or interior designer, you may specify these types of products, but then you have to educate your client about what to do with them when it's time to swap them out or how to how to get them into a waste reclamation program. So what's your advice to the whole spectrum of designers in terms of this designing with the end in mind approach? I think designers have 
a part to play, but I think we're all in this together. Not one carpet company be can become sustainable. Not one manufacturer of nylon can become sustainable. We are in this together. So whether you're a designer, a manufacturer, a supplier, end user, a person or a manufacturer who actually starts to take old product back and put it back into the circle. It is a web of life and we're all in this together. We cannot do it on our own. So this is one of the most important things that we have. Interface could not have done it without Aquafil making the strides and creating a recycled nylon. It would be impossible. We have to work together in this journey. And as Julio said, we have to start to look like nature and not use nature like we've done in the past. We've used nature to make all our products, our clothing, our building materials. It's all come from the earth and we're running out of these precious resources and we have to now together start to think about doing it differently. And we have still a long way to go. But when I look back 20 years ago, we've come so far now to start to see it in the fashion industry and in Adidas and Stella McCartney and all this. It's starting to really work. Uh, so I'm excited about it. But again, we still have a long journey to go. And it's a fun exciting journey to make it happen. And we can feel good about it. Absolutely. So, Julio, as the maker of a, of a raw material, what do you think is the most prevalent misunderstanding consumers have about products made from regenerated waste? You mentioned earlier that they feared it would be more expensive, but you've talked about the economics of it being not only feasible, but healthy to the bottom line. Can you talk about the economics of this whole circular economy? Normally, uh, consumers believe that uh, a recycled product or a regenerated product in our case uh, is not as nice as uh, a virgin one. And this is the first uh, mistake mm -hmm. or better. It depends by designers, of course, uh, but uh, if you have a good designer and if you have a good uh, recycled ingredient, uh, you can make uh, a product which is as beautiful, if not more beautiful <laughs> than a virgin uh, one. The second misunderstanding normally is that uh, they perform less. So they are not as performing as the virgin one. And this is not the case of uh, Econil because it is exactly like uh, the one uh, coming from oil. Third problem that I always like to mention is that uh, sometimes people believe that uh, we are telling stories. So that uh, this mm -hmm. kind of uh, solutions are fake, are not uh, real. And uh, in order to overcome this, uh, very often we invite our customers and sometimes also very important uh, uh, influencers uh, to visit our plant and to see the waste. You know, they come, they see uh, warehouses are uh, planting of fishing nets, uh, of uh, wasted carpets, uh, or uh, of plastic waste, uh, and we see how we transform them into beautiful products. So starting from these uh, fishing nets that are uh, uh, really uh, abandoned uh, in the oceans and uh, creating uh, big problems in the oceans, we are able uh, to deliver an ingredient uh, to make uh, a beautiful carpet, uh, or a beautiful jacket, uh, or a raincoat, uh, or a beautiful pair of uh, sunglasses or uh, whatever you can do with uh, with nylon. Uh, 
the economics are better in our case because after a beginning that was pretty challenging because you know everything was to be invented the technology the process the reverse logistics because the first problem is to to understand where waste is and to bring it back you know mm-hmm. think that we are bringing back fishing nets from Japan from New Zealand from Southeast Asia of course, uh, from the Mediterranean area, from Norway, from uh, North and South America, from Patagonia, from everywhere, you know. So just uh, to ship them uh, back is uh, the first challenge uh, that you have uh, to resolve. But once uh, you arrive to have a stable process, uh, you arrive to have uh, the technology which is working uh, well and uh, efficiently, and uh, arriving to the right uh, economies of scale, then you also start to enjoy costs that are not uh, different uh, or uh, more expensive than the one coming from oil. Then, as every recycling company, normally you prefer to see oil prices very high because in this case, of course, (laughs) you have more room to pay uh, your cost. But uh, uh, when uh, you have uh, the right technology, you can also be competitive when uh, oil prices are not uh, high or low. And David, from your perspective, what do you think the most common misconceptions of designers, architects, specifiers have related to the circular economy and sustainability? I still think the designers feel like they will be limited um, Mm -hmm. if they go the sustainable or green way. But I think if they start to open up and start to look at how sustainable thinking and designing, and especially for me, I started to embrace with learning from nature. Uh, Janine Benyus, who wrote the book called Biomimicry, suddenly it changed my life on how I started to look for nature, for ideas on how we can start to design products completely different and it just changed the way I started to think about things and again it was not using nature it was learning from nature and nature does it in the most beautiful way nature is beautiful has no waste all the things that we want to do nature does it so well and if we want to kind of fit into this planet Mm -hmm. we have to start to learn from nature and be like all the other species and fit into here. You've mentioned you're optimistic about the next generation. Do you think they are the ones in the best position to push for change? Do you think it lies with legislators or consumers or even on the government level? Where do you think the most needle moving can occur in the near future? I think we need the every possible uh, help and uh, support all angles when uh, yes <laughs> uh, we need of course uh, a clever legislation that uh, is uh, uh, understanding that uh, uh, with some support uh, they can uh, improve the speed of change i like to mention uh, in norway bottle recycling uh, systems you know there is a legislation uh, from uh, the norwegian government uh, saying how bottles should be made if you want to make them different, you can, but you pay. It's uh, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a deposit system in place and the collection points uh, that are uh, making easy for people to bring bottle uh, back. Result, 97% bottle recycling rate. So if Nor- Norway 
uh, reaches 97% recycling rate. I believe that every single country in the world can do the same if they take the same uh, systems, you know. So legislation is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, legislation is a very, very starting uh, point uh, to help uh, and to push uh, people and companies uh, changing uh, things. Then we need uh, education because uh, we have to explain to consumers what is good, how it should be, and uh, tell them the truth which sometimes is not, uh, you know, what we normally do. Because if you listen to ads today, everybody's green, everybody's sustainable, everybody's uh, circular. But uh, the reality is that uh, everybody's still doing uh, what uh, he or she has done uh, since uh, he or she was born. You know, mm -hmm. So very few people for the time being are uh, on the road uh, to change. And then the third uh, very important element uh, is eco-design. So to start uh, changing the way products are made and processes are uh, developed, you know, because it is not only developing new products, but also creating the systems that these products at the end, they are uh, coming back uh, and uh, they return uh, to its original uh, building blocks, if, if we can say uh, in this way. So we need uh, really uh, a big effort uh, from uh, every corner. Do you have any predictions for what design for the circular economy will look like in 10 years, let's say? I think we'll still make progress. I mean, my vision is we'll make as much progress as we've made in the last 20 years. I see technology being a, a big part of us moving forward. I'm fascinated with 3D printing, which I think will be 3D manufacturing in the future. I think if we can make our products like nature makes products, nature grows a tree, a leaf, there's no cutouts on the factory floor when nature makes its product. It makes only what it needs with one polymer. And I think if we can learn to make products and take equineal uh, nylon and make the shape of a carpet, a pair of sunglasses, a sneaker, with no waste, and then all that product can easily be then taken and recycled back with no separation. All those things, I think, are hurdles that we need to get past. But I think technology will play a big role, and the science of separation, recycling, I think will just get stronger and stronger in the future. Can we imagine a future, I don't know how far off into the future, where all of our manufacturing is mining from recycled materials or from waste as opposed to fossil fuels? Can we actually clean the planet through manufacturing? Is that the most idealistic view ever? <laughs> we may not have a choice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In the, in the spirit of giving everybody some takeaway to start with, some inspiration for, you know, taking these principles with them and incorporating them into their own practice, Julio, what would you say are the principles for sustainable design and where could somebody start? I also have the fortune to know, thanks to David and to read the book of Janine Benius. And she says, we need less invention, more discoveries. So we need to study nature and to discover how nature is doing things, because uh, this is uh, really uh, what we have to do in order uh, to grant a future to, to our uh, children and to the children of our children. 
David, what would your answer to that question be? Very similar. I think we just got to think about the next generations. My generation, you know, again, it probably won't affect my life. It may affect my children's children, and it's getting closer now. I think we start to see the changes. We start to see our seas, our rivers, our lakes with so much waste. I think it's affecting how they feel, their heart, and I think that will be the biggest change. And again, I think it's for the next generations. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything that you've learned with us and and your passion about sustainability and the circular economy with me and our listeners. Where can we go to learn more about Econil and Aquafil? Well, you can, of course, visit our website, www.aquafil.com and www.econil.com. You can find a lot of uh, information. You can find a lot of uh, beautiful uh, examples, beautiful products uh, from our uh, customers, both carpet, uh, apparel, and why not now also uh, sunglasses and other uh, plastic uh, materials. And uh, you can find also a lot of uh, pictures and videos uh, from uh, our customers that are uh, very exciting. And also, uh, if you follow us every day, there are uh, always new stories that uh, are on this uh, website. And you can follow David Oki on David Oki Designs. Follow our website. Uh, see our building in Georgia, which is one of the most biophilic environmental studios been there 22 years and also i would recommend biomimicry and uh, type in ask nature if of course you come to neocon you can find us uh, at uh, 11 floor 107 both you know this is also very important you know it's a nice place uh, a nice uh, exhibition uh, to visit thank you so much Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. We want you to be a part of this. Visit neocon.com and check out Neocon's blog and its social channels to stay up to date on what's happening in the industry and to tell us what you want to hear. Please subscribe to Neo Conversations on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me, Amy Devers, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amy Devers. And be sure to check out my other podcast, Clever, for a window into the humanity behind design at cleverpodcast.com. Neo Conversations is a production of 2VDE Media, and this episode was edited by Rich Starvolino. <laughs>